Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. Teeth do not have emotions, people do. And how we handle these emotions makes all the difference in how our patients feel about the treatment and services that they receive, as well as how you feel about the treatment and services that you provide. I went to a conference one time and the speaker said, the quality of your life is in direct correlation to the quality of your communication. And I have found that to be true. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. David Neumeister. Dr. Neumeister was a dentist that I met at the Mid-Year Open Conference this year, and I can't even tell you how the experience impacted me. I think the best thing to do is just have you listen to the conversation that we had together uh, in sharing some of the ideas and thoughts that Dr. Neumeister is willing to take the time to share with you as a student going through the dental hygiene program. Now, we spent 45 minutes talking and we have so much more to discuss, so you will probably hear from Dr. Neumeister again in the future. And just a little history here, he received his dental degree from the University of Nebraska. He's an active member of the dental profession through his participation in the American Dental Association, the American College of Dentists, and the International College of Dentists. He's a busy guy. Dr. Neumeister is also a member of OPEN, the Oral Health Progress and Equity Network, where he works in collaboration with other professionals to improve oral health access for all populations. He contributes to his alma mater through presentations and contributes wherever he can. So when we talked, I asked him if he would consider sharing some of his insight and experience with our dental hygiene students through this podcast, and he was more than happy to spend the time talking with me. I hope this episode brings you a different perspective on patient care. So I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. David Neumeister, who is a retired dentist from Vermont that I had the opportunity to meet at the Open Mid-Year Conference. And David and I had a great conversation at the conference, which just sparked so much more uh, need to have more conversation. And it really centers around students and our all of the information that we've learned over time about our own lumps and bumps and curves and twists in the road of private practice and how we can share that information with our students. So Dr. David, nice to see you. Thank you, Professor Lunt. It's nice to be here and it was uh, a pleasure to find you at that open meeting. It's a lot of dedicated people there and it's always fun to have table conversations with the dedicated oral health people of this country. Absolutely. And I, I think we, uh, we sparked some definite momentum at that conference. Yes. And I think we've got some good 
we've got lots of work to do, but, but we're going in the right direction. So one of the things that uh, struck me in our conversation was, I find that one of the student struggles are um, building confidence in the clinical setting. And our students get so focused on time management and their scaling skills. And sometimes they forget about uh, communication and behavior change building skills. And that's what I wanted you to, uh, to talk a little bit about is how they can keep their focus on, on really developing those relationships with patients and, and just share a little bit about your journey in that topic. Well, thank you very much. Uh, uh, it's an honor to be here and speak with the hygienists and, and dedicated health professionals. Uh, I, I practiced dentistry in Brattleboro, Vermont for uh, 45 years uh, in general practice. I worked with a partner, I had a staff of anywhere from eight to 12 uh, individuals uh, who worked with me as part of a team. And uh, when I began in dentistry, I thought it was all about how much I knew and how smart I was and what I learned in dental school. It took me a while to understand that being able to do something isn't the same thing as, as really having an impact on people's lives. And it, it, it was frustrating to me for, I would say seven, eight, nine years of, of uh, trying to find a less expensive lab to make uh, prosthetics so that I could help people replace missing teeth and things of that sort. Uh, and I heard a, a lecture, um, it, curiously, it, it happened at what I think was called the Highway Hotel in Concord, New Hampshire. And, and someone lecturing was not a dentist, but he said the biggest single determinant of a success in a dental practice is the quality of relationships you have with your staff and with your patients. And success in dentistry is based on relationships. I can remember where I was sitting in the room when, when he said that. Oh, uh, that hit you. That hit it you. Did. Uh, I really think I didn't hear anything he said after that for about <laughs> 20 minutes. I just kept thinking about that, that my success wasn't technical. It wasn't knowing how to do things. It wasn't... Uh, being able to do uh, better procedures or take more courses or have a different composite that uh, uh, was more aesthetic than the last one I had. It, it was about relationships with my staff and with patients. And that started me on a journey, frankly, uh, of how do you build relationships? I'm an introvert, but with no question, I'm very quiet. If I, if I was in a room full of people, you wouldn't know I was there. And I'm being very honest. I, I, I am, a, I think, like a lot of dentists, tend to be more uh, science, technical, uh, per touch sort of person. Uh, and, and a lot of hygienists are that way too. Uh, I know from behavioral style uh, tests. Uh, and, and I like working with my hands. I like working detail, being precise. Uh, I'm not a natural relationship person. So I had to learn how to listen, how to, how to build, rapport with people. For me, it was kind of mechanical because it wasn't natural. Uh, and in that process, I began studying listening. Uh, and, and one of my uh, greatest teachers was a hygienist from Seattle, Washington, actually. Uh, 
uh, Mary Osborne, um, who understood uh, how to relate to people. And she put on courses around the United States. I sometimes would follow her when she was in Boston at the Yankee meeting, and then she'd be in Chicago in the midwinter, and I'd go to Chicago to hear. <clears throat> and I eventually had her come and work with our office one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but listening isn't about responding to people. Listening is about understanding people. And, and once I understood that when, I, when you talk to people, you don't wanna be thinking about how you're gonna answer. What, what are you gonna to say to what they're saying? What you wanna do is, is start to figure out what, what are the, what's the meaning behind what they're doing? Uh, why do they choose those words? Uh, what, is the, what emotion do I hear in those words? And if they say something that is emotional, like I really get uh, uh, anxious when I come to the dental office. My instinct as a professional is to make it immediately start talking about remaining calm. And I'll explain things before we start. And I'll always use a topical before I give the anesthetic. But what I should do is say, tell me more about that. Yeah. I understand you. Uh, and I've been teaching at the dental school where I went to, to dental school myself, the University of Nebraska, I've been teaching sophomore dental students for the last six years in Lincoln, Nebraska. And should I just keep wandering like this? Absolutely, you're not wandering at all. This is such great information for students because it really opens up their eyes. They're so focused on getting their scaling skills down and, and having all of the knowledge to share with patients. Yes. But sometimes, it's just as important or more important and you'll have a greater impact if your listening skills are, are at the forefront of what you're doing and your relationship yeah. building ahead of your scaling skills, yeah. right? That's right, that's right. You're exactly right, Professor Love. I, I like the way you phrase that too. And that's a problem that these sophomores have in dental school, the dentists who are about to go into the clinic in, in the middle of their sophomore years when they really start seeing patients every day. Uh, and I, my class is on listening and understanding your patient and not being afraid to ask uh, a, a question that you naively may have a sense of what their answer is gonna be, but ask it anyway, because you want them to keep expressing the emotion of what their concerns are. Uh, like I've had this feeling done three times and it keeps falling out. What, what do you say? I'll, I'm going to do a perfect one. This one will not have a perfect right, one. Right. That's, what I, that's what I wanted to say. Yes. But what I really need to know is tell me more about that. What, what did the dentist say about that tooth? Why was he putting another filling in? What happened to the last filling? You need to understand where they're coming. This is a unique person with unique life experiences, with unique, unique dental experiences. Once you understand where they're coming from, you then choose different words when you explain how you're going to fix that tooth or what the problem is with that tooth. And many times the patient doesn't really understand the complexity of putting a restoration in that tooth. They don't know what, because of where the problem is with that tooth, it's very difficult to put a filling in there that's going to last. They don't, they don't have any sense of that. They think that the last dentist was incompetent. Yes. The last dentist could have been a very competent dentist doing the best they could. But the, the problem is the structure of that tooth and where, where the problems are. Uh, and this happens whether it's scaling root planing or whether, well, why do my gums always bleed when they clean my teeth? 
they're, yeah. they're, they're being too rough. Tell me more about that. Don't be defensive and explain why sometimes there's bleeding. Just find out where they're at. What are their experiences? Uh, what are they hoping? How do they judge a good cleaning prophylaxis in a dental office? How do you know if it's done well, Susan or Mark or Bill? Have a, speak for a while. Don't get your instruments out and start working, but listen to where they're coming from. What is it, how do they see this? I always tell uh, hygienists and dentists the same thing. I, I lecture on this listening topic because we all need to be better listeners. I've, I've lectured in a dozen states in the United States to dental groups and office staffs about listening. But I often tell people your responsibility at each patient visit is to first expand the relationship with that patient. Your first obligation is to expand the relationship. The better you understand your patient, the better your services can be, and the better you can explain things so that they desire what you're capable of doing. That's a big gap right there. You, have, you want them to desire scaling root planning today. Right. That's a challenge. That's a challenge. That Nobody is. But you have to have them understand why if we don't do this, you won't be chewing when you're 65. You have to be able to say that, look them in the eye, and know that that is true. That tooth will not be there if we don't clean that root surface so the tissue can reattach. Okay. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a big gap to think about where the understanding is for the patient versus where the understanding is for the clinician. And I think we have a knee-jerk reaction to, we always think we want to inform and inform our patients so that they have a better understanding of the need. And we just automatically assume, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to speak for myself, we automatically assume that if they have the understanding the way we have the understanding, then they'll value what we do and they'll understand the importance of it. And what you're saying is that it's really about listening better so that we can understand their experiences and their perspective, and then we'll be able to treat them where they're at and That's, actually meet their needs a little more effectively. Well said, meet them where they're at. Uh, that's why the first responsibility is, is expand the relationship with this patient, get a better understanding of who they are, about their, some of this has to do with their family. It has to do with uh, what's happening in their life today. It has to do with it's raining outside and they don't have an umbrella and whatever it might be going on, that's part of it. But the other part is, what are they thinking about their teeth? What are they thinking about their smile? Uh, if you had to rate your, your teeth today from one to 10, and, and when I say teeth, I mean smile, chewing, everything about, where would you say you are today, one to 10? And whatever they say, oh, about a seven, why? Yeah. Look in the eye, serious, I'm very interested in why you say, well, I have this place over here where I catch food sometimes. I have to use floss always on this left side and it always catches food over there. It's been like that since, the, since I had a new filling put in there about three years ago, it's been like that. And what else? Don't just accept the first answer, say, what else? Well, they're not as white as I'd like. I wish they were whiter, really. And what else? Well, when I choose, sometimes it looks like my, my smile is not level. One side is higher than the other. I don't, I don't know if it really is, but it just looks that way to me. What else? Well, that's really about all. That's why I said it would be a seven. 
And I'd say, tell me about the whitening. You mentioned, have you done anything to try and have a whiter teeth before? Um, and, and see if they have, or if they haven't. This, this opens the door for another conversation. This is all because you said, how would you rate your teeth today? One to yeah. 10, one is terrific, one is terrible. And then why, 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 what else? Uh, and you're building that relationship. This person is saying, you know, this hygienist really is concerned about my mouth and my smile. This, yeah. I love the way this office works because they're, they want me to be happy as a patient. This is the what I wish I could find more healthcare workers that are like this, that listen to me. Yeah. Now the second responsibility of every dental visit, and this is just as true of the dentist as it is as the, as the hygienist, is to educate the patient. Yeah. Once you found out where they are, then you can explain what you can do to be helpful. Or sometimes there, there is no answer for that. That, that, that your smile is off, but to correct the way that the smile is, it's not off by much, but it would be a really challenging orthodontic situation to ever change that smile the way that is. Uh, but you have a great smile and, and the, your teeth look very nice. You're very fortunate that they're nice and even. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody else even notices that it's a little bit off one side higher than the other. Uh, you can go to where they are, educate the patient about why you're doing the, 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 the scaling today on those hard to reach areas between those molars and how they got like that. Yeah. Now they're open to hearing that because they understand if they don't do what you're recommending, they're not gonna chew when they're 65 on those molars on that side. Right. And they trust right. you. You've built the relationship, they trust you and okay, then let's get it done. The third thing, there's three things to every, every visit. The third thing is be sure they return. Would you want this to be a long-term relationship? If they're gonna have their teeth forever, you wanna be the one to help guide them on that journey. So the last thing I put in my notes with every patient visit is reason for returning. And it will be something like to check if they're still bleeding between those molars or to check the pocket depth uh, or the recession that's happening on that lower cuspid. Is, there, is that recession increasing or is it stable? Is it something we're gonna have to treat someday or can we leave it just like that? And I put that in the last note on my, in my progress notes because uh, when they come back in for the next visit, I'm gonna reread what happened that day and that thing at the end, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I may not start with that, but I'm gonna to get to that with that yeah. patient. Well, I'm going to check that recession we talked about last time, Susan. See if it. See, I got, a, I got a, a measuring instrument right here. We're going to find out if, if the, your brushing technique has changed so the recession is stable. Uh, uh, that's such a great thing to point out, Doc, because it closes the loop and it lets the yeah. patient feel like you didn't forget something that was really significant from last visit and that you and, remember all of the specific needs of that patient. I love that. And sometimes it makes a difference in, in whether they keep the next appointment. Yeah. So you reduce uh, no-shows or broken appointments, or I can't come in today because it's raining and it's, uh, I don't like to drive in the rain. Uh, the, the, the receptionist can pull their, their record and look at the screen and say, they're checking the recession on that lower uh, on the cuspid and say, well, I know that uh, the hygienist was interested in checking that recession. So we want to be sure to, 
if we can't come today, we got to make an appointment that works for you because we need to check that area. It's always the last thing in the progress note. So anybody can get it just like that yeah. and, and talk to the patient about, it. or maybe they'll say, maybe, maybe it's good. Maybe we don't have another opening for quite a while at, at four o'clock. I really wish you could be there today because I know the hygienist wanted to check that recession. Yeah. It's true. We're not making up anything. No, you know, it's three, true. Three reasons for every, they say three things that need to happen. Expand the relationship first, because that determines whether you're really going to be able to help the patient or not. Secondly, educate the patient. And thirdly, make sure they return. You do that every time you'll have a successful career as a hygienist, as a dentist, as, as a healthcare provider. Frankly, any healthcare provider would be would have a successful. And I work with these sophomore dental students because to a person, they are, are so focused on pharmacology and histology and anatomy and dental materials that they think if I, if I can remember what material to use at what time and which composite is better than another composite and why and, and uh, how to do a composite in a sterile field that I'm gonna be successful as a dentist. And it's not true. It is not true. There are a lot of dentists who are very frustrated. They are very, very competent dentists, but they're not busy. They have cancellations all the time. They have patients who leave unhappy or not. I think I, he charges too much. The fees are too high here. The problem is not the fee oftentimes is that they don't feel listened to. They don't feel cared for in that office. Mm. It's like a restaurant. You can have a, a great chef with great training, spent two years in France and they can know how to cook everything. But if they don't have a wait staff that is competent, the customers aren't gonna keep coming back. If they don't have a maitre d', if it doesn't look nice when you come in the door, uh, the, the atmosphere and what happens surrounding that, that restaurant visit determines more about whether you come back or not than whether you spent two years in Paris or whether you spent two years working in, at McDonald's. Yeah, that's a really important point on the keys to success, but it also brings up what are some of the challenges, right, um, of dentistry? And that's definitely one of the challenges because, you know, some of our patients, we're just a, a check off on their to-do list of the day, right, yeah. unfortunately. So that we're everything, in our mind, we're everything to them, but in their mind, we're not necessarily everything to them. So do you, do you speak on some of the challenges of dentistry yeah. from the patient perspective? No, it, you're right. It, uh, dentistry is not something that anybody likes doing. I mean, you, you're, uh, you're always something that they have to do or something they should do or something that their mother was very careful about their whole life growing up, you know, and I, I want to take care of my teeth because it was so important to my mother to go to the dentist uh, twice a year and see the orthodontist. And the, I don't want to let go what was such a, a major deal to my family when I was growing up. There, I hear that, you know, twice a week, somebody will tell me exactly those words. Uh, yes. I know. It, it's, and it's true. Uh, that, that is a motivating factor. But I like to to have the motivation be something in the future. Another thing I often tell down groups is in every patient relationship, and this is true for the dentist patient, 
or the hygienist patient, or frankly, the, the front desk receptionist when they're checking out has the same issue. Uh, there are three things going on in every, every contact. There is the outcome of what you're recommending. There's the, the price of what you're recommending. And there's the procedure itself in every conversation. And the only thing that you and the patient both agree on every time is the outcome. The patient may think, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to have an implant, but I, oh, that's a lot of money. And I, my brother had an implant. I think it was $2,000 to do an implant. Uh, you, you may disagree on the, the cost and the value. You may disagree on the procedure. That sounds, oh, that sounds awful. I'm not sure I'd want that. They put, a, they put something in the bone. They, they, how do they get it in there? They drill it in. I don't, I don't think I want to have an implant. That sounds awful. You disagree on that. But what if the question is, you don't have any molars on the lower right side. You have some on the left side. That means you're doing all your chewing on one side. You're a young, healthy, 43-year-old person. You don't want to go the rest of your life doing all your chewing on the left side. For one thing, you're overworking all the teeth you have on the left side. Right. If you're going to even out your chewing, you need a molar on the right side. You have an upper molar, you need a lower molar on the right side. It is critical over your lifetime that you have another tooth on that lower right side. John, it is expensive, but it's valuable to you to be able to chew when someday when you start getting Medicare payments that you have a tooth on that lower right side. I want you to be able to keep all your teeth all the time. I, I like to tell people I want you to keep your teeth as long as you want to chew. <laughs> well, I'm, not sure really is. I'm not sure when that's going to end, John, but if you right. want to chew when you're 65, you need a molar on the lower right. Now you could do it this year. You could do it next year. You could save money and do it in three years, but you need a molar on that lower right side. And look them in the eye and pause. Stop right there. You don't want to keep talking because then they're starting to think about their answer, start, starting to respond. What's he going to say next? I, John, I'm concerned. I want to have you chewing on all your teeth when you're 65, when you're 75. And you're going to need that molar if you're going to chew. And then I go to the back of the room, pause for a minute. So they're just sitting there thinking about what I've said. Yeah. Now, time is the is the constant. We can do this anytime. We don't, it's not a rush, John, to put, do that implant. You can do it in two steps. Do the surgical part one time and do the prosthetics a year later. You'll get the same result. But you need that too. Now, now you're in, speaking in their best interests. You have an outcome you both agree on. When they leave the room, I talk about chewing. I don't talk about what it costs. I don't talk about the, the drilling something into the bone. They may ask questions. I will answer their questions. I'm not going to hide anything. But I'm going to focus on the outcome because we agree on the outcome. Now, that's true of the person at the front desk also. When the patient, is it really worth all that money to do that implant? Well, I know that I, I heard Dr. Neumeister saying it's very important that you chew well on both sides. And, and I'm sure he wouldn't have recommended that if he thought it was, you didn't need something so you could chew better on all of your teeth. So she could focus on the outcome 
It is expensive, John. She can repeat that. She can say the procedure sounds complex, and it is. Yeah. For chewing purposes, you need at least one more tooth on that right side. So that she can leave them with the same thought that Dennis did. It's the outcome that we agree on. Right. And it's a very supportive and caring approach. I love that. I love that. And it still puts the patient at the center of the decision-making yeah. process. Well, patient at the center. Now, that's, a, that's another way to say the same, make the same point. That's why you listen first to find out where they're coming from, because it's really all about helping the patient. It, yeah. It's not about you know how to do successful scaling and root plating. That's a given. You're learning that in hygiene school. You're learning that by repeating the procedure. You're learning that because somebody checks what you've done. You're learning that because when you come back in the six months, it's healing better and they can clean there. And there is no more bleeding in that area. You did scaling root plating. You know how to do those procedures and you learn how to do them better and better. And you learn how to sharpen instruments and make sure you can do it easier and easier for the patient. But you can be the best hygienist in the world. If you don't have a relationship with those patients, they're not going to maintain what you've done. They're not going to understand why you need to do what you're doing. They're going to think you charge too much and it's, too, it's more painful than it's worth. You've, you've lost three ways because yes. you didn't listen to them first. Dr. Neumeister hits on some really key points to being a successful dental hygienist. And just as a review, expand the relationship. And I love how he really points out that if you don't take the time to expand the relationship, then you are not going to be successful in getting your patient to change behaviors or listen to what you are teaching them or educating them about, right? So that's the second step. And they're in a specific order because he really understands the value of expanding the relationship in order to educate the patient. And I really like how he gave the example of being sure that the patient returns and pointing out some detail when they do return to teach the patient that we care about them, to show them that we care and to be intentional about conveying that message to our patient, I think goes a long way at expanding the relationship. It always comes back to that one key piece. So his insight on how to proceed clinical excellence with relationship building and how all of that ties together, I think really helps change our focus so that we can be really intentional with our education by first expanding the relationship and moving forward in our relationship building with our patients so that we can build those relationships, improve their oral health by helping them make those behavior changes that they need to make in a really supportive and included way. I I, I listened to this recording several times. I did have some technical difficulties with the actual upload, so the quality is not how I wanted it. Um, and as a result, I ended up having to listen to the podcast to make edits many, many times. And I feel like each time that I listened to Dr. Neumeister just through the process of the editing, I learned something different each and every time. I also just wanted to point out the mistake that I've made 
so, so many times when a patient says that they're anxious or they don't like coming, uh, I'm quick to comfort the patient by offering suggestions or letting them know about the procedure and what I'm going to do in that procedure to help reduce their stress. And he really articulates it so well on how that's really not what our patient needs from us. What they really need to do is just be heard. And so by asking those questions and saying, tell me more about that, we can really help our patient open up a little bit and maybe discover a little bit more about the why behind the things that they say. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Neumeister as much as I did. In the next episode, we will continue the conversation with Dr. Neumeister and listen to him as he shares some of those early experiences as he navigated between being a student and being a clinician out in the real world of dentistry. He'll share some of the struggles that he had, as well as some of the things that he learned about being a great clinician and creating clinical excellence, not only for himself, but in and among his teammates. So I hope you join me for the second half next week. I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.